Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Lori. We've always thought that the most compelling story strikes the perfect balance between an honest look at the mess of life and the humor that can be found in the mess. To be perfectly honest, we don't really know how to live life without both the humor and the authenticity. Our podcast might be a little bit of whiplash at times. We can spin from hard and deep to humor and laughing on a dime. The hard will be really hard and the truths we share are the ugliest of humanity. We don't intend to make it seem like it's all fine or to pretty up the pain, but we also know that the joy we found is all the more profound because of the pain. So we hope you can stick with us through the ugly because there will also be joy and hope and humor. Welcome to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Hi. And welcome back again. Welcome back to the ugly truth about the girl next door. Take two. Why do we do this? We spend quite a long time today. We did like trying to prep for this episode, but still we're at take two. I feel like I always get tangled up in the first like three minutes right. of trying to record. Like I have to like get my thought flow and mm-hmm. that takes a minute, you know? So right. okay. take two. Take two. So today we're talking about um, escape attempt number two, interestingly. <laughs> um <clears throat> Hopefully you listened to the episode about um, escape attempt number one in middle school um, and just what that looked like because today we're talking about kind of the time frame between that um, escape attempt. I keep saying the words escape attempt. <laughs> so that, like, that's oh not my easy goodness. to say. Clearly. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> okay. How many Between times middle school and yeah. high school. <clears throat> and this escape attempt um, then took place, you know, later in high school. Um, but there's a whole lot that happened between – those two events. Um, so that's what we're talking about today. And there was a reason why there was even a next escape attempt. It's not like you just woke up one day and you were like, yeah, sure. Let's try it again. Let's try it <laughs> yeah, again. Because no, that was fun the first not. time. Yeah, no, absolutely not. There was never, ever an intention to ever tell anyone anything ever, 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 ever again, because it was just such an epically terrible experience the first time. So um, so that kind of segues into Church Me. Um, we talked about kind of how Church Me, this like churchy, perfect persona kind of evolved. Um, and it was kind of my front for what the public's, what my friends and the public and everyone else around me saw versus what was really going on. Um, Can I comment on that? Yeah, for sure. Okay. You love when I like I love it. segue. Is this brain here. science? No brain science. Sorry, <laughs> oh, everybody. Man. You're just going to have to hold <laughs> on that one. No. <clears throat> this is more like church me was a part of you. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of in the other episode, we talked about church me as sort of your public self, your front facing self. And we all have a front facing self. And so, yeah, church me was an actual part of you that I know you don't really appreciate. Um, but you know, Mm -hmm. but she was not, she, it's not like she wasn't a real part of you. It's just that she was the whole of you at that point. When you say she, it makes me sound crazy. So so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You're not crazy. Thousand percent. Not crazy. That part of you. (laughs) Yeah. Was just not the whole story. Uh, right. No, absolutely. It was a very, very like refined, um, you know, public version of myself except that it's not even public but like people even close to me this is what they saw right it's not even like you were consciously being like Mm -hmm. i'm only gonna like act like this no it was more just like okay well that way didn't work right being the messy me it was more the putting it in the boxes it was putting the 
information, the abuse that was happening in the dark world and having then this be the light world. And that's just all that I could really live out out there. Right? Right. Because that's the only thing that worked. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, So I wasn't great at it, you know, all the time. I was still pretty awkward. But I did get rid of the bangs, so that helped. (laughs) We're all very glad. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, clearly. Um, so that definitely helped with the fitting in. Um, but no, I, I was learning. I learned how to act like church people. I learned how to act like normal people, even though I, I never, I didn't feel normal at all. Cause I was living in this other dark world that was making me not feel normal. But, um, but I had figured out how to act and to speak and to do all the things correctly in, in the bright world. Um, I also started kind of perfecting the me in the dark world. I knew better what these people wanted and how to do it and how to do it so that I had the least amount of physical pain and impact because if I did it wrong, then more of that came. And if I did it right, then sometimes it didn't. So I had learned how to do that. So that's gross. But Uh, I'm sure we can all understand that the the shame that comes from being like, I learned how to do that, quote unquote, well, like that's just twisted, but not because Kate's twisted, but because that was the only way to survive in that reality. Yeah. There was no interest in that being the reality, but it just was. And you had tried to get out and it didn't work. So what choice did you have? No, for sure. It was at this point, it was just about minimizing as much as possible the pain inflicted and also minimizing just, uh, yeah, the pain, I guess. Um, anyways, um, so in this time frame, we had also switched churches. Um, but unfortunately the abuse didn't stop just because we switched churches. It wasn't, you know, solely centered in the church, you know, that was definitely part of it, but it wasn't switching churches didn't help, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, the people came with you. People came with me. Yep. Um, but since switching churches, I was then watched a lot closer. I was really on a leash when it came to connecting to people. Um, if any adult outside of the people that were hurting me paid any attention at all, it was immediately shut down. Um, I was really shamed for any attempt to reach out for help. Um, I just, I knew that I just have this really strong sense of knowing that it was just really wrong to try to talk to anybody about even the story, even like the, what the public did know, even the story that we landed on after the end of the escape attempt of it was one person, one time who now lives out of state, you know, even talking about that was completely off limits. Like we just, we did it. It's done. We're going to move forward. Um, so, okay. Can you talk a little bit about who, what, like, where did that shame come from? Um, everywhere. (laughs) Um, there was like a very clear narrative that was, that started with the people that were doing this to me and filtered, you know, throughout all of my world. I mean, this was at school, this was at church, this was just, this was who I became that like that I, it was just she just wants attention, you know, so just really don't listen to her. Don't don't indulge that because it's, you know, yeah. So um so the narrative came from them 
and trickle down to the other people in your world who even were not involved, <clears throat> but yet they still responded to mm -hmm. even you talking about the, the story that was out there with kind of, okay, that's enough of that. Right. Which I had shared in that one episode, you know, like trying to give my testimony at church, even the part, the, the public part of this, the, I, you know, was sexually abused by this person who now lives out of state, not allowed, not allowed to put, um, to, to do that at all. Um, so that, yeah, I mean, it started with them, but it really trickled down and people just ate it up. It was like, oh yeah, no, clearly she just wants attention. So you know, don't indulge that. I feel like that's the best way to say it. Like, just don't indulge mm -hmm. what she's doing. But I I wasn't really even doing that. Like, I really wasn't trying to reach out to people, um, you know. But the, it would ooze out sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, the narrative was just, yeah, I'm needy, clingy. Um, and it was really, you know, widespread. Um, but needless to say, I, I did start going to youth group pretty regularly. Um, I went to a small private school and all of my my kind of friends at school went to um, this new church and this new youth group. And so, again, in my attempt to kind of assimilate into the world, I guess, and be normal and keep the secret and do all the things, this was the, the best way to do that was everybody goes to youth group. And so I'm going to go to youth group because – um, also, to be fun, actually, <laughs> um, sometimes I didn't really have a choice because um, my – so uh, I got to say this carefully. <laughs> uh, someone who I got a ride from home um, from school went to youth group. And so I would kind of automatically on Wednesdays go from school to church because I didn't have another ride home. <laughs> so uh, – Okay. And I actually like that just like was like, oh, yeah, that is how that happened. Um oh. Got it. So, it would have been weird if you didn't go. Yeah, because that was just kind of like what I was – What that, everybody would yeah, do. Yeah, that was what everyone was doing, Wednesday night youth group. And so I just kind of automatically did that. And um, so, yeah, there was, you know, people at youth group who um, did invest. There was definitely – there was one person in my youth group who was a leader and she gave a lot of herself and tried to invest in me. Um but my abusers pushed back on that. I mean, again, like I said in previous episodes, as soon as anyone started to kind of feel around for what was happening or what had happened, again, you have to remember people kind of – they knew this one thing that had happened to me and that was the story. That was the public, you know, towing the company line kind of. And their minds just kind of shut everything else down. The, the book was closed on what might still be happening. Um, but there was someone who, you know – she really tried. She definitely invested a lot of herself in trying. Um, and my abusers just, I mean, immediately it's like the lies and the pushing back and the, you know, and I felt a lot of, I was terrified. I mean, like I would, you know, talk to her in like a corner at church because I was really scared that if, you know, someone saw me doing that, that it would, I would be in trouble. Um, cause it was just completely unacceptable to be, talking to anybody about anything <laughs> because you would have been in trouble i would because have been if in it trouble had filtered back absolutely i would have been in trouble yes so um so yeah so there's you know adults in my world again who i think did notice um so sometimes it was because the abuse your abusers were pushing them back but sometimes i mean people have lives and mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. There was definitely a person who really did try to invest and then, you know, life gets complicated and they get distracted and it's kind of like a back, you know, gets put on the back burner. 
Um, and that's complicated in my brain. <laughs> yeah. And that's not a criticism. I mean, that's more an acknowledgement of reality. The reality is yes. So people who care and want to help, yes, they can sometimes get distracted, which is complicated and hard. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but there were adults along the way who no did notice that I wasn't okay. Um, so what'd they notice? Well, I was cutting, um, and not just like surfacey, like, uh, superficial, but like needing stitches. Um, I actually learned how to do kind of makeshift stitches on myself at home, um, to hide it. Uh, so because it wasn't acceptable in the dark, you know, the dark world to have that just gaping open. Nor could you be repeatedly having to go to get stitches right. out no, there. Of course not. So, um, yeah. Uh, but so there were adults in my world who noticed that because, you know, shockingly, that's a pretty hard thing to hide sometimes. Um, when but 12, people, 14, 16. Yeah, exactly. Um, and especially when I'm going on things like mission trips and, mm. you know, having to change clothes in a room la, with la, people. La, where, yeah. Whatever the place was right. that you went to. Don't, why do you even say it like that? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Such a weird name. I can't remember it. It's a weird name for sure. <laughs> Um, but people noticing was actually, was terrifying. Cause again, if someone noticed and they asked now it's like, well, we have to have this conversation in like secret because I can't be talking to you about this and you can't be asking me about this because not only are my abusers going to find out, but you know, the youth pastor is going to find out and then I'm going to be in trouble with him. And then he's going to go to my abuse. Like, it's just this whole chain of this domino effect of like, I am not allowed to do this. I am not allowed to talk to you about this. So please don't ask me. But please ask me, but please don't but, ask yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Yes. Um, I felt bad. I felt gross. Um, again, especially given the narrative, there was so much shame involved with trying to get help that it was just like, nope, nope, nope. Like I, I'm not, please don't, but also please do. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess I don't also remember the adults who noticed those things being all that concerned about it. It was more just like, that's not good, but probably she just wants attention. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And like, you more of a like figure it out or I don't know how to help you. I don't know what to do about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then your abusers would swoop in and like, if they did try to be like, Hey, seems like something's not okay. Mm -hmm. Then that would be pushed back. And really I mean, what we've talked about is that a lot of the message you got was, okay, let's put that back in the box, make it a little tidier. Once it's tidier, then maybe possibly, we can mm -hmm. talk about that, but not when it's messy like this. Right. I think the really important thing here is that this escape attempt was so much more complicated because of the first one. Mm -hmm. So before the first one happened, before I reached out for help the first time, I think my abusers didn't really see that coming. Like they, they, you know, really had that they put a lot of time and effort into Brainwashing. Brainwashing. Right. And so they just really didn't expect that. So, but then after that happened, they were constantly on guard for it. And so I could do absolutely nothing without that being a concern. Like nothing was done in secret. Nothing was able to be private. Like I was just completely on a leash, honestly, um, because of the first escape attempt. It was like they saw the weakness the weak point, and so then they they patched it up. I mean, it's like a hole in a jail cell, right? Like if, if a guard sees a hole in a jail cell wall, they're going to like 
okay, mistake that they let the hole happen to begin with, but now we're going to patch it with like grade five steel. What's, I don't know, grade five Ooh, steel. I don't even know. I'm smart, lying. Like- I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, is that even a thing? <laughs> Feel free to comment on our Instagram whether Does grade anybody five know steel about steel? Like- <laughs> grade five. Oh my goodness. Just help me. <laughs> Okay. Anyways, they patched the hole. They patched the hole with like all the things, <laughs> the best of the best material. So that's like kind of how this felt was like, you know, the hole happened, but they plugged the hole and now they've patched the hole and now the hole is completely sealed. Um so yeah, even though there were people that noticed, it really didn't matter cuz it was just not I was not accessible. So Right. Um until well, right. So um, in my junior year, um, someone, my junior year of high school, someone who, um, had been very much involved, um, in the abuse died. Um, and the person who had moved out of state that who I, they had blamed it all on, right. We had kind of, they had pinned it all on and I had named that person after the first escape attempt. Um, he came back into town, um, for the funeral and, um, you know, the public story is that he wasn't supposed to be in town because blah, blah, blah. Um, but he was supposed to be in town. That's just reality. Um, you know, again, the public story versus what actually happened, I guess. Um, but during the days and the weeks that kind of surrounded the funeral, things were really, really, really bad. Um, because this person was so involved, the person who died, um, they used kind of that, that whole time as like a remembrance to him. And this was a huge part of his life was doing these things. And that was really gross to say, but, um, but that is the reality that this person and this whole thing that happened, there was a whole ritualistic aspect to it that this person who died was right at the center of. Yeah. And it was also just a lot of people that were in town for this funeral, people that were gathering together for this funeral, and all of these people that this person knew and were connected to were all the people that paid to come and do these things. And so it all happened kind of all in the same time. Um, So I clearly was not okay again, Um, you know. (laughs) <laughs> that's like a, a really softball way to say it. <laughs> um, so not okay emotionally. Is that what you mean? I mean, in every way, physically, emotionally, mentally, like I kind of really was not okay. Um, definitely thoughts of suicide happening here. But again, that kind of, I mean, that did fail. Didn't kind of fail. It did fail. Um, you know, I was not okay. It was either like I have to leave or I have to get help. And I don't know how to do either one. <laughs> So, and by leave, you don't mean like move to Oklahoma. No, I mean die. Right. Um, so honestly, some of the puzzle pieces of kind of what came next are still under the couch. Um, I know that I told someone that uh, the person who had come into town, who was out of town, um, had hurt me. So I, I definitely remember telling someone. I don't remember kind of the whole, um, the whole scenario there, I guess. I mean, I can't, I have pieces of it, but it's a like fuzzy. I just remember being really, really not okay kind of in every aspect of my life. I was working at the time and I was going to school and I just remember being like, like in this really crazy kind of days all the time because everything hurt. My brain hurt. My body hurt. Like I was just, I was not okay. 
Um, and I do remember telling someone um, kind of just pieces of it. Like yeah, this person um, who hurt me a long time ago was in town for the funeral and they hurt me again. That's like the gist of what I said. Um, that Because I did that, because I told someone and I was a little bit older and this person was then like completely alarmed, like, oh my goodness, um, the police got called. Um, so that was like a whole, <laughs> a whole thing. Um, so how did you feel? I mean, do you remember anything about how you felt when you found out the police were involved? Oh my God. Terrified. Absolutely terrified. Um, because it was like trying to figure out how to tell the truth and not tell the truth. <laughs> right. Um, you know, trying to muddle through telling so that I could get help because I wasn't okay, but clearly not able to tell the whole thing because that's entirely too risky. Um, so I, you know, again, it's like the filing cabinets, take out another file and see if it works, you know, and it, it didn't to be clear. Um, but yeah, I really didn't have a choice. I had to, to pick a file and make that happen. And again, what I was saying was not untrue. This person did come into town from out of town who had hurt me in the past, was involved in these things. He did hurt me this, this, at this time frame. Um, you know, during those days um, after the funeral, but that wasn't the whole of it, right? So I'm telling this story to the police and it's like I'm trying to muddle through it, but because that wasn't the whole of it, it's complicated. It didn't, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound. The pieces yeah. don't all fall into place. Right, because it wasn't the whole story. It wasn't the whole story. So can you comment again for anybody who maybe hasn't listened to all the episodes? Why not just tell the whole thing? Oh my gosh, because it was such a risk. I mean, I had, it had failed so epically the first time that I tried to tell, um, probably like the most important part of it, you know, um, that I, there was no way, there was just no way that I would be able to, I mean, people were threatening me, telling me things that they would do to me if I ever told that they would do to my family, um, trying to tell before had failed and I ended up in a worse position than I had been to, like, I regretted telling anything ever. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm thinking about a specific thing. I can I tell you're thinking. You I, I know she can always tell that when I'm thinking. So I'm thinking about. Well, go ahead. Um, no, because I don't know if you want to talk about it, but oh, I'll, okay. I'll mention it and then you can pass or not pass. How's that? Okay. We can always cut this out if we have to. Okay. Your dog. Oh, no. I don't okay. want to. All right. Pass. Okay. Yeah. Moving okay. on. Um, so hey. yeah, anyways, um, police were called, they, you know, the police then whatever. Anyways, the interesting thing about the police is that, um, one of my abusers like knew all the police, <laughs> the police officer who came to do the interview was actually like an old buddy of one of the people that were, that was hurting me. So, um, I would, we are going to, at some point take a little look for, um, for that police report. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I would just be curious to see what it says because truly like those are puzzle pieces that are just real muddled and really like, well, yeah, I don't know. Well, cause you didn't even know the whole of what was happening because you were quote unquote a child and right. you know. Yeah. And I wasn't my own advocate or my own like liaison between the police. Like my abusers were the line of communication. It wasn't me. It was like them telling me what the police had said which was basically 
like nothing. <laughs> like we can't help you. <laughs> I don't even know if the police really said that, to be honest, because I I didn't have any like direct line of communication with them. But somehow enough happened that you ended up the FBI was involved mm-hmm. and the child advocacy center was involved, mm-hmm. like the interview thing. So enough what happened. Yep. But I was also never alone for the interviews. Um, Which can we just pause and go how crazy that is? But okay. <laughs> yeah. No. But they were. They, my abusers were within earshot every time. I remember sitting at a table with uh, one of my abusers, like literally sitting next to me and the police officer sitting across from me and having to try to explain what it was that I was saying and the what I was trying to tell. Um, and it's like I could feel the heat radiating off because I knew that like anything I said was going to have consequences. Um, I was just trying to minimize those consequences. So you were already in trouble for having said anything. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. So it was just like, I was just in this horrible predicament of like, I shouldn't have said anything at all. I didn't really want to say anything at all, but like my life just fell apart this past weekend. So what can I really do? Right. Um, but yeah, I was not alone for them. Um, I was, I was like 16 or 17 at the time, I guess probably 16. I don't know. I don't math. Um, junior year. Yeah. More like 17, 17. Yeah. Um, so like we did, so like I was a minor, but I was also like 17. So it was like, we would, we went to the child advocacy center and I, sat in a room um, giving my statement and I was like surrounded by stuffed animals. And I just remember being like, this is not like, I don't feel safe here. (laughs) Like I know this is supposed to be feeling safe for like a five-year-old, but like I'm 17. I just feel weird sitting in this children's chair talking to you about this thing. That's like really personal. And also like trying to make it make sense without telling the whole story. So, and by the way, there's a two-way mirror. Yeah, there's a two-way mirror and there's like four other people watching this interview. So super stressful. So um, definitely not. Not I mean, again, this is like kind of our broken system, I guess, that we kind of eventually <laughs> we eventually should talk about. But we should definitely talk about that. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, so it was like, again, it's like that half-hearted effort. It's like the, the people at the school when I was in seventh grade, like they uh, cared enough to listen kind of, but it's like a half-hearted, a halfway type of help. Um, that just eventually disintegrates and falls apart because I still can't tell the whole story. Can we say that, right? We are telling the whole story now, but still you live in fear that whatever help is going to just disintegrate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We've had a lot of people reach out and say like, what can I do? And I still, I mean, we are telling the whole story. You're right. We are in pieces and episodes giving the whole picture and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Um, but I'm still very, very, uh, hesitant to, to accept any kind of assistance in this process because then it, I mean, it could all just fall apart, right? Like people could believe it one day and not believe it the next day. That's just, that has been my experience, I guess. I know you have said that you worry that, you know, you're going to share some detail that's going to make somebody be like, oh, well, that's just one step too far. That's just way too much to believe or to think. And, I know that that's something that you and I have had to navigate through too over time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, on one hand I have, and I think we're going to do an episode kind of just about this, but 
on one hand, I have people coming to me and saying, I remember this, I remember that, and it all fits together. And so now and I, don't, I not only have the puzzle pieces put together of my experience, but I also have puzzle pieces put together of the peripheral experience of what was going on in other people's worlds that were connected to my world. Um, and it fits. It makes sense. I had um, a girl reach out to me who I grew up with who gave me some details that she remembers about me and about our relationship. And it was like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, that makes total sense. And I do remember that. It just like it makes sense. It fits. And it's like a sickening kind of sense. Um, from very, very young, very young. Yeah. Um, and she's a little bit older than me. So like her memory of it is much clearer than mine would have been. Um, but yeah, I mean, so there, that's validating that people have reached out and said like, Hey, these pieces fit too. It's very validating. And that again, I'm not crazy, you know? Um, so if you have any of those puzzle pieces, please do yeah. reach out. Yes, please. Please know that you may assume that Kate remembers those details, but that's not a safe assumption because yeah. those details, a lot of those details are either puzzle pieces stuffed under the couch or they're details that were not, she was not allowed to know. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that's super validating. So yeah. Anyways, any, everything that happened after the police got involved um, was just more cover up, more lies. Um, my abusers were involved in interviews. Um, like I said, they knew the police um, and I didn't have any kind of contact with the police to be like, hey, can I talk to you privately? You know, it was it was honestly for show is my <laughs> my um, feeling about kind of how that escape attempt ended. It was the, it was for show. It wasn't, it wasn't real. It was never going to help. I was never going to get out that way. Um, I didn't do it right. I didn't tell the whole truth. I didn't tell, I mean, I wasn't lying, but I also wasn't, I couldn't tell them the whole of it. And so how, how could that really help? Um, and that ping pong of like feeling so trapped and really acknowledging the fact that through no fault of your own, you were stuck repeatedly in a situation where it was not safe for you to tell more, but also over here being like, yeah, but it's my fault because they didn't help me because I didn't tell them. And that crazy in your head of mm -hmm. like, well, which one is actually true? Yeah. And yeah, it is true. You know, you weren't alone in a situation with someone who helped you to know that it was safe to tell the whole story. Right. Yeah. Or even someone who was pressing in further again, going back to the middle school attempt, no one was asking more questions. It was kind of like the story was this person did this a long time ago. They moved out of state. So no one has to worry about it anymore. They came back into town for the funeral. They assaulted you moving on. No one was like, okay, but that doesn't make all the kind of sense. So can we go a little deeper? Can we ask a few more questions? Nobody was asking more questions. It was open shut. And guess what? We really can't do anything because this person lives in a different state and we don't really extradite from that state. So the end, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. even though not the end, I no. was not okay. I was still stuck in this situation. I was still stuck in this horrible place. And P.S., I was paying the price for it in the dark world because God forbid I took a chance and I told someone, probably not even on purpose. It probably came out like because I was bleeding or something. And I paid a price for this. Um, 
So we kind of referenced earlier on that when the person who had been involved died, that it set off this whole honoring that person's life, which makes me want to vomit, but, and that there was a whole ritual based around any of that. Well, there were some ugly rituals based around what happens if you don't do it right Mm -hmm. for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The people that were doing this, they, uh, they would say things that literally still haunt me to this day. Um, They focused in on how God saw me. Not only were they mad at me and not only was I in trouble with them, but I was also in trouble with God Um, and how other people would see me um, because that's basically who I was. They used a lot of physical pain to cement the message in my brain and body. And um, I will never be able to erase those things. So I paid a very high price in the dark world for attempting to escape again. Um, and this time, honestly, even worse because they they knew I failed. <laughs> they knew that I – it wasn't like they were scrambling. It was like – because of the show that was put on by calling the police, it was like, we're laughing in your face. Like they knew I failed and I knew I failed. So. And that's important context. I think for people who listen to the investigations episode of why it is so hurtful and harmful to not take definitive action when a survivor comes forward to stand with them and stand in front of them, if that's what it takes, because those who did this, they're watching often enough. They are watching to see, Mm -hmm. okay, like, am I okay? Am I not okay? Like, is she going to get me in trouble? Um, And if the answer is no, you're actually not going to get caught for this. Let's just think about what that unleashes. Mm -hmm. Now there is more, they feel more of a freedom to do whatever they want. Oh, yeah. They feel empowered, honestly. And that was, you know, we mentioned, we kind of glazed over this in the investigations episode of, you know, trying to take this to um, the organization that they were volunteering in. And they were watching. They were watching to see what the organization was going to do. And when it was done incorrectly, it backlashed on me because – it empowered them. It was like, see, you still can't get it right. You still can't because nobody is going to believe you. That is the the words that ring in my head every single day. Nobody is going to believe you. Um, and sometimes they weren't wrong about that, unfortunately. And so that combined with what they did to me physically to really like cement that into me, I mean – So again, this can be something that you pass on, but that people are probably wondering, like, how on earth do you use God to validate this kind of behavior? Like, how could they, how could God possibly see you? How could that be relevant to what they were doing to you? Which you can pass on, but. Mm -hmm. No, I mean, it started so young though, like the, you know, sin versus not sinning. And what I was doing was sinning and by telling I was sinning. And so if I'm sinning, then there's, you know, consequences for that sin. And, um, God, you know, ultimately decides how people are, you know, then whatever with sin. And, um, so that's how 
that gets tied in. Um, and I was created for this in their opinion. I was created solely for this purpose. And so if I was created to do this and I wasn't doing it right and not by not doing it right meant telling and trying not to do it at all, um, then clearly that was bad. So if you start saying that kind of stuff to a six-year-old, they believe it absolutely, completely, and totally. Mm -hmm. And then when you repeatedly reinforce that message over years, by the time that kid is now 16, that message is pretty deeply embedded. Yeah. And it's very hard to get out from. Yeah. So after this escape attempt, I pretty much shut down. Um, I stopped talking to everyone. Um, I let the church me persona just completely take over um, every part of me, the past and what had happened and this escape attempt and everything else. It died. I put it in a box. I sealed the box. I swore to never, ever, ever, ever in a million years talk about it again. Um, I went to the required counseling that the church, um, the youth group leaders were um, saying that I, I needed to do because I wasn't allowed to talk about these things at anywhere. Um, I went to the required counseling with a biblical counselor, and I knew how to say all the right things. And to the outside world, I was healed. I was forgiven. I was transformed. Praise the Lord. <laughs> um, and on the inside, I was just dead. I had to believe um, in the church me part to make it work so that the rest could just die and the boxes could just go in the back of a closet under some clothes and never to be seen again, basically. Um, and that is how I moved forward. So that's escape attempt number two. I feel like that one's a little bit messier timeline-wise than the first one. Oh, um, no, I think it was pretty clear. Pretty just messy. Like the whole, the whole of it was messy. The whole of it. The is. whole of it is messy. That's really the story. <laughs> so. Well, I'm. I don't know. I'm. I'm sure people listening are sad and horrified that these things happen to you. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, <clears throat> not horrified like you shouldn't tell, but horrified like it's terrible that you had to live through this. Yeah. And they're probably wondering, like then what? So if you're dead, I'm not saying you have to answer this now. I think this is maybe next, but, um, cause obviously there's more to the story because you're sitting here and, uh, yeah, it's 20 years later almost cause you're old. I'm not old. You're older. I'm oldish. <laughs> you act old sometimes. <laughs> Evelyn was trying to tell me yesterday something. I was, cause I was saying that I was sitting with my knee up on with ice, with a blanket and a heating pad. And she goes, well, you are 45. And I was like, excuse me, I am not 45. And she goes, oh, sorry, 36. I was like, uh, try again, 34. Okay. She was like, okay, whatever. I don't even know how to count. <laughs> well, neither do you. So she comes by honestly. She's not wrong. <laughs> okay. Anyways. Well, so thanks for note, listening. Yeah, this was fun. <laughs> Okay. We will be back with more. So. If you or someone you know is stuck in a trafficking situation and needs help, please reach out to the National Human Trafficking Hotline by calling 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP, H-E-L-P, to 233-733.